We'll be reading from Luke 11. Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you just said. Yes, said Jesus. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you? For you build monuments for the prophets your own ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand at witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they can use against him. Hi, friends. We're continuing today in our series between now and Easter, leading up to Easter. It's called Inside Out. And we're taking a good, honest look at the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And we're certainly hearing some challenging things, some very direct statements from Jesus. And today's passage in Luke chapter 11, verse 45 to 54, is is the same. Uh, A very direct Jesus, motivated by care, but certainly directing, um, directly addressing some issues. So let's begin. For some reason, when I was in elementary school, very young. I I was very impressed with those at our school that had a lot of keys. Had a lot of keys. I I was impressed. I was curious when the administrator or the custodial team walked by and I could see the key rings that had all kinds of keys on it. And and I I was curious. I I thought that was, uh, um, was an amazing thing to be holding so many keys to think that someone holding all of those keys had a lot of power and control to open up various doors. As I look back, I think probably what I was vying for was an ability to get a key to open up the gym and the storage room to get out more footballs, uh, hockey sticks, and soccer balls, but, but I'm, I'm regressing, digressing. As you age, you realize it's not the large key ring that matters. It's more about having the master key. Because if you have the master key, you are guaranteed to open doors that are locked. It's about the one key. As we look at this passage in Luke chapter 11, a conversation between Jesus and a lawyer, the subject of the key arises. So let's, let's take a, a little bit of a look at that today. Where do, where do we begin? In today's passage, we, we meet a lawyer. And we read again, as I mentioned, a conversation between a lawyer and Jesus. 
To understand who this lawyer is, we must concentrate on the word root law. In this passage, the law referred to in the word lawyer is this Mosaic law, the Old Testament law that carried with it all the rituals and all the traditions of the Mosaic law. So to the lawyer, the key uh, to finding relationship and favor with God was tied to the codified system of rules and regulations that were meant to govern Israel. Um, it's quite simple for the lawyer. There was just the one key idea, and that was, again, follow the codified system of the rules and regulations of the Mosaic Law. So the lawyer's business was threefold. He uh, would be someone that would be known to study and interpret the Mosaic Law. He would be known as someone, or they would be known as someone to teach and instruct people to obey the Mosaic Law. And thirdly, um, this one would be known to interpret and answer questions about the law. So really, someone carried, in their mind at least, a tremendous responsibility, simply because the lawyer seemed to care deeply about what he was about. So how did this play out? To accomplish this threefold job description, the lawyer went around pronouncing judgment upon people. That's correct behavior. That needs to change. That's wrong. Uh, a, a lawyer pronouncing judgment. They be, this law was expressed through prosecution. They became prosecutors of the law, um, ultimately discouraging people because the obvious was so true. People fall short of the law, the Mosaic law. Impossible to follow the letter of the Mosaic law. And so the lawyer placed uh, a huge, as noted by Jesus in our text, a huge discouraging burden upon the population. Those people fell short, we fall short, and we do every time. So when Jesus comes, we hear a new message. Jesus said of himself, as it relates to the law, I am not a prosecutor. I'm an advocate. I'm a defender. Very different approaches. It is said this way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 by John. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This is such good news for the people that were in the New Testament in Luke chapter 11. A very different message from the prosecutor to someone Jesus saying, I want to advocate and be your defender. This is good news. Such good news. Jesus comes and says to the sinner, of which we all are, I'll be your advocate. I forgive sin and I will defend you. Um, in the days ahead. See, the law says guilty and prosecutes quickly. Jesus says, yes, guilty, but forgives quickly and says, I will be your advocate and defender. Uh, let's walk the road together. Relationship. See the contrast? The law, the Lord, the contrast? It's very apparent. The conversation that 
the lawyer had with the Lord or Jesus um, is some way understood with three big ideas, three big statements that Jesus made directly to the lawyer. These are statements. The New Living Translation is at words three times what sorrow waits. The New International Version says, woe to the lawyer. Of course, a woe is a warning. It speaks of the inevitable unless there's change. These three woes or what sorrow awaits statements deal with three things. And again, we find ourselves in some, some real hot topics of conversation. It deals with legalism, hypocrisy, and deception. Wow, these are, these are big words um, that carry a tremendous amount of weight. And of course, a huge responsibility that Jesus brings to the lawyer. And of course, through the application of Jesus' words, brings us into the story as well. I, I would say as we talk about legalism and hypocrisy and deception, we need grace. <laughs> we need grace to speak, we need grace to read, and we need grace to hear. So let's, let's be led along in a grace discussion around three very, very specific um, items of concern that day that was on Jesus' mind. So the first one, verse 47, Jesus addresses legalism. And it's worded this way, what sorrow awaits, or woe to you, referring to the lawyer and, of course, his friends, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one figure to help them. Legalism. In that day, the lawyers were dealing with legalities or legalism. So what is legalism? Legalism is a lie that God will find more pleasure in me because of my obedience, and most certainly if my obedience is greater than other people's. And of course, the opposite would be true when we think about legalism, that God looks at me with disgust because I'm not growing in grace or growing as quickly as others. Legalism. Legalism is also the failure to remember that God's pleasure for us comes from outside of us and is found in what Christ has done for us. Legalism also causes the heart to forget that God sings over us because of the work he has done, not because of what we have done. Legalism. How are you doing sorting out legalism in Scripture? And certainly this passage today. Followers of Christ equally bring pleasure to God because of what was purchased for us on the cross that Jesus died on, period. Any imagined superiority to other Christians is the true sign of legalism. And friends, we need to appreciate Jesus is not saying obedience is unimportant or unnecessary. Rather, Jesus is just coming into our world, into our neighborhood, into our lives, and he's beginning on the inside out because he knows what he's done outside of us that changes us on the inside. Jesus Christ would die on the cross and would raise from the dead. The lawyers were relentlessly, and Ricky talked a bit about this last week, the lawyers were relentlessly working on the outside of the cup through legalities and trying to change human behavior and 
And Jesus came to transport the heart of the man. So why? Well, the gospel says, if you deal with a person's heart, their behavior will eventually change. And not necessarily the other way around. As Ricky said last week, you can do the right things for the wrong reason, and it actually can be sin. So as a person's heart changes, so potentially will their behavior, because out of the abundance of the heart, we speak and we live. Playground for all of this is the heart of man. And Jesus came speaking about the heart of the man, the inside of the cup. See, the lawyers of that day were missing the big news. Jesus was the big reveal. The law was and is meant to show us that we cannot make ourselves righteous. We need help. We need someone to save us and rescue us. And as we surrender and look to Christ and, and receive the offer, he helps. He imparts to us the change that is required. And it's done through the righteousness of God not sorting out what is right or wrong about our behavior. See, service to God does not begin by getting our act together. It begins by confessing that we need help getting our act together, and we look to Jesus for that care, that concern, and that rescue. And that's what Jesus came to do. Seek and save who? The lost. We're lost without Christ. That is why Jesus went hard in Luke chapter 11 on the Pharisee that Rick talked about last week and the lawyer that we're addressing today because legalism is a false gospel. Legalism says I can make myself more spiritual. And again, God is more pleased with me when I meet the standards defined by others. But the Bible says that God is pleased with us because of what God has done for us in Christ, and us accepting that. And there's nothing inherently good within us. God comes and gives a new heart and renews our minds and all the joy and pleasure of God upon that work. Hebrews 8 words it this way, this is a covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. See, true faith motivates us towards obedience because of a relationship and love with God. This is the life that God invites us into and empowers us for. Legalism. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. The second big word is hypocrisy. Found in verse 47. Worded this way, what sorrow waits or woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. Very interesting. Some historians use this verse to point to the times when the lawyers, the Pharisees, would wash or clean up around the tombs of the ancient prophets that would potentially be seen when pilgrims would make their way to Jerusalem for the religious festivals. So it was a cleanup for the public that would come and make their way on, pilgrim, on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So these potentially tombs are on the common route towards Jerusalem. And so work was done to clean up and to prepare for the visual view from the pilgrim. So to the idea, the idea was to the traveler 
that these tombs were cleaned up to signify a few things, honor, esteem, and a high regard for the ancient prophets. But those tombstones don't tell the real story. That's why there's hypocrisy that's being addressed. The traveler was being presented with false pretenses. Those tombstones represent a history full of disobedience and rebellion. Those tombstones represent the killing and murder of God's prophets, and it shows the great opposition over the years to the ministry and message of the prophets that were sent by God to bring God's word to Israel and call them to repentance. There's a bit of hypocrisy going on. You see that? A bit of hypocrisy in the activity of the lawyers and the Pharisees. And Jesus points it out to them very directly. See, a hypocrite is, is, is someone who is not who they say they are. And this is illustrated, of course, in these tombs. These were people that were presenting themselves as honoring and caring and uplifting the role of the prophet, but their history and their pattern of belief and thinking absolutely was not that whatsoever. Hypocrisy. So these tombstones were built and rossed to send a message that the lawyers honor the prophets. And, and, and the lawyers did anything but that. They came from a long line of ancestors that did not, uh, again, they did not receive the prophet's message at all. That's hypocrisy. Claiming to become and to be someone that you're not. So what sorrow awaits for the legalist, for the one who is about legalism, what sorrow awaits for the, the, the one who's full of hypocrisy, potentially is not who they say they are? Well, that causes us to examine our hearts and minds. And then thirdly here, woe to the, you know, woe to the deceiver or the deceptor. And this is found in verse 52. These are hard words. Woe to you, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Weighty words. Through the, the lawyers, constant leverage for power and authority over people and their narrow interpretation of scriptures, the, the lawyers were seeing people become filled with strong prejudices against the gospel. And this, of course, was their ultimate goal. The lawyers not only rejected Jesus in their day, um, but they were hindering others from coming to Jesus as well. They didn't tell the truth. They were deceptive. They found ways to deny and criticize the miracles and ministry of Christ and also by threatening people with excommunication from the temple. So at the end of the day, they were taking no responsibility for the deceptive path that they were on and that they were leading people along as well. And so Jesus calls them on it and says, you have taken away the key of knowledge. So friends, so what about us? <laughs> Last week we're talking about the Pharisees. This week we're talking about the lawyers. What about us when it comes to some of these matters of the heart? Whenever, again, we talk about legalism and hypocrisy and deception, we, we must be centered in a message of grace for the speaker, the listener, and the hearer. And I, I do think in this passage there's three ideas or keys and concerns for us as Living Waters Church. Let me, let me share them. The first one is this. 
Scripture itself does not necessarily lead someone to a good place or a good person. Scripture doesn't necessarily get us there. For example, the lawyers were experts in the Hebrew Bible and Hebrew religion, and yet they never saw how all of the law and all of the prophets point to Jesus, and because of this, they remained condemned by the law that they taught. Friends, know this. Living Waters Church, know this. Scriptures always point to Jesus. And if you can't see Jesus in the text you're reading, you need to stay in the text a little longer or perhaps study a little different. The Bible is a story about the grace and mercy of the coming of Jesus Christ. We study Scripture to learn about the one, Jesus Jesus came to be our advocate, an advocate that speaks sovereignly and finally to the prosecution of the law and all the damage that sin has been doing for thousands of years and still doing today. So this passage points very plainly to the difference between someone who is a devoted follower of Christ versus someone who travels in Christian and religious circles, but is not day by day radically transformed by the power of the gospel that we read about in Scripture. So we need to carefully study Scripture with Jesus at the center. Secondly, the, key of the, king, the keys of the kingdom is belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Faith in the permanent sign of Jesus' empty cross and Jesus' empty tomb is the key of the kingdom. And believing this is foundational to a faith journey every single time. This is key. So we receive this good news. We receive this message that the cross is empty and the tomb is empty, and that speaks volumes to us today. We receive the gospel. We don't do the gospel. We receive the gospel. The gospel is not about self-improvement or making a better me or you. The key of the kingdom is believing and receiving the truth of the gospel that transforms us and radically changes us and saves us out of a life of sin and tendency towards rebellion and into a relationship as God's redeemed child and all the joy that comes with life on earth with the promise of eternity for those who take the key of the kingdom personally. Keys symbolize power and authority. And in both the Old and New Testament, through a confession of faith, this opens the door of the kingdom for ourselves and for all people who would respond in faith to the proclamation of the gospel. While at the same time, keeping the door of the kingdom shut from those that do not respond in faith and confess Jesus as Lord. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the keys of the kingdoms are God's gift to his people that state heaven's verdict on who and will not enter the kingdom of God based upon an individual's response to the gospel. This is the keys of the kingdom that says who we are and it says who we're not. As such, when you and I share our faith, we can exercise authority because of the delegated authority that comes from the message we're sharing. 
Think about it. When you're sharing your faith, you can say to someone, you can, my friend, become a child of God. And if that person does become a child of God, you can say with authority that that person, based upon confession of their faith in Jesus Christ, has been forgiven of sin and now has an eternal plan and promise over their life. A promise of heaven. That's good news. Oh, the power and authority that comes from holding the keys of the kingdom. Thirdly, Finally, each of us are storytellers, sharing our faith story every day. We must realize, friends, that as Christians, we literally hold the keys of the kingdom. We hold the key that can open the door for many people to hear, learn, and experience the love and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 reminds us, how, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is, this is important. Christians, we hold the keys of the kingdom. And through our proclamation can open up a door for so many people to experience the love and life of Jesus Christ. Our challenge today... and Perhaps the warning, as a warning here, just as Jesus foretold of the judgment on the fairies and the lawyers, so perhaps judgment would be upon us or on his people if we don't sacredly hold the keys of the kingdom that have changed our lives. We now hold the keys of the kingdom in the sense that we carry in our hearts the most important message for the whole world. A message about Jesus that needs to be shared in word and in deed. And, and it's needed to open up the door of salvation for people. That's you and that's me. So are we motivated by guilt and fear that may be upon us? No. We care enough to share. And we're motivated by a love, care, and a compassion for those that don't know Jesus. Because, of course, of the compassion and care that Jesus has given to us. So as Ricky answered last week, why, why did Jesus speak so strongly to the Pharisee, to the lawyer? And why, why is Jesus speaking so strongly to us today? It's because he cares. It's because he loves us. And he loves all the people that are on earth today. And he invites us and he calls us with keys in the kingdom in our hands to be a blessing to others. And not be deceptive. He cares. He cares, he cares, he cares. Let me just say in closing, we've been speaking to Christians. Perhaps you're not a Christian today. You've been, in the hearing of this message, introduced to the keys of the kingdom. And those keys are, 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 are reaching towards you to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to strive, you just need to receive. And out of that transformative work of accepting Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, such good things happen today and will happen in your tomorrow as you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Why, what, what would stop you today? What would stop you today from saying yes to Jesus? Because Jesus is saying yes to you. Why not give all of yourself to a Lord that's given all of himself to you? Let's sing together and worship.